I'd like to take a moment to thank my mom for listening to every episode. Now, my mom is the real reason you're listening to this show right now, but the sponsors have a little something to do with it as well. So I'd like to thank our sponsors too. Clio, Scorpion, TimeSolve, Alert Communications. As the largest legal-only call center in the U.S., Alert Communications helps law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake. Alert captures and responds to all leads 24-7, 365 as an extension of your firm in both Spanish and English. Alert uses proven intake methods, customizing responses as needed, which earns the trust of clients and improves client retention. To find out how Alert can help your law office, call 866-827-5568 or visit alertcommunications.com slash LTN. It's the Legal Toolkit with Jared Correa. With guest Darian Kovacs, how to become a successful podcaster, and we show why Flash Gordon is the greatest space opera ever set to film. Suck it, Star Wars. But first, your host, Jared Correa. The Legal Toolkit podcast is happening right now and not later. Yes, I'm your host, Jared Korea. Art Fleming was unavailable, so you're stuck with me. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software, Inc. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads. You can find out more about Gideon at gideon.legal. Before we get to our interview today with Darian Kovacs of Jelly, I wanted to take some time to talk a little about something I like to call authenticity. Or not. I talk to a lot of law firms about marketing and branding. And I'm always surprised about how reticent lawyers are to just be themselves. Most of the attorneys that I talk to are looking to uphold some ideal of what a lawyer should be, even if that's an image that they don't entirely believe in, and many don't. So you're probably thinking that I'm talking to a bunch of older lawyers, right, who aren't ready to give up those traditional notions they still cling to as they shuffle papers at their desks. Only you'd be wrong. A number of young lawyers that I talk to, including those that are about to start a new law firm, are trying to be something they're not. It's strange days indeed, as John Lennon would say, but these young lawyers are trying very hard to define themselves. And to do so, they're looking for a template. So what they're really asking me is, what's a lawyer supposed to be like? And throw into the mix the pandemic, where traditional services businesses have changed significantly, including law practice. So everybody's feeling a little untethered. So drill down a little bit more into that question. And what people are really asking me is, what are lawyers supposed to be like now so that I can be that way myself? And my answer is usually pretty much the same. Fuck that noise. The fact is that there's no definition for a lawyer should be. Is it Atticus Finch? I don't know. Atticus Finch was written and acted out by Gregory Peck 70 years ago. That's probably not a modern template for a lawyer, right? No matter how much you like that character. Is it Harvey Birdman? Probably not. He's a bird and an animated character. Is it somebody from L.A. Law? I guess not, but I wouldn't know. I've never watched L.A. Law before. Is it Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul? Uh, definitely not. And most pop culture lawyer representations, when you think about them, are about trial lawyers. What happens if you're not a trial lawyer? 
So the point of this exercise is that there's no defined lawyer prototype and that every lawyer has to answer that question differently. But honestly, what do you care what other lawyers think? What's more relevant is what your potential clients think about you. So potential clients work with small service businesses like law firms because they trust the principal. And if you're a stuffy looking attorney, is that the kind of business person a modern legal consumer wants to engage? Perhaps not. In a world in which everyone's been wearing sweatpants for the last 16 months, wearing a suit probably only makes you look more expensive. If it says on your website that you went to Harvard Law School, hello, you got to pay that student loan off somehow, right? Who pays them for you? Your clients. They know that. They're not stupid. Super lawyer? Sounds expensive. How about if I get a good lawyer? Are you seeing where I'm going here? If you want to get the root of a traditional law firm web presence and build that out, make sure you smile like a constipated serial killer in your headshot to really maximize the effect. Hey, you were the one who wanted to be a traditional lawyer, right? So here's a simple resolution for all this. Let's assume that you can both talk and write because you're a functioning human being, and further that you can talk and write well since you went to law school and that's what you paid all that money for. Apply that to a content marketing strategy so that when people find you online, it's because they know exactly what you do and why. Do that, and then it's just a matter of being likable. And you're more likable when you act like yourself. So be yourself at all times. That's the secret to marketing. Uh, in parentheses, like a lawyer, and you just happen to be a lawyer. The business terminology for this is authenticity, but I kind of hate myself now for even using that term. And most people take that to mean you should enthusiastically try to play a character, your business owner persona. And now I'm upset I even brought this up. So don't be authentic, be yourself. Put your dog on your website, but only if you like your dog. And if you like your dog, but think that's cheesy, then don't do it. If you like plaid shirts, wear the fuck out of those plaid shirts. It worked for me and Paul Bunyan. If you're a geek and invented your own strategy game called The Cones of Dunshire, wear it. If you like Rolos candies, tell people that, and you'll get plenty of shipments of Rolos. Uh, trust me. If it's not a shtick, if it's what you do in your personal life and what you enjoy, then you can use it in a business context effectively. I mean, have you ever listened to this podcast? So market like a well-rounded human being and you'll add more well-rounded zeros to your business and personal bank accounts. Now, don't go anywhere because we're gonna do an exceedingly authentic interview. Shit, I did it again. With Darian Kovacs of Jelly. He's got something that most attorneys can only dream about. Stay tuned to find out what that is. That's next. But first, let's take a moment to listen to the Clio Legal Trends Report Minute. Did you know that 42% of solo law firms operate without commercial office space? In fact, 9% of solo law firms gave up their office space in the last year alone. I'm Joshua Lennon, lawyer in residence at Clio. We're seeing an overwhelming number of solo attorneys migrating their legal practices to internet-based cloud technologies, giving them the freedom to practice from anywhere. New research based on data from tens of thousands of legal professionals show that with the right technologies, solo lawyers can make $50,000 more revenue than other law firms on a per lawyer basis. This is because cloud solutions like online payments, client portals, and client intake software create the types of efficient legal experiences that today's clients look for. 
To learn more about these opportunities and much more for free, download Clio's Legal Trends Report for solo law firms at clio.com forward slash solo. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O. Okay, it's time for our guest interview. We have a Canadian guest today. So let's get to the savory gravy on top of this delicious pile of poutine. Uh, our guest today is Darian Kovacs, who is the founding partner at Jelly. Darian, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me on your show. All right. Hey, my pleasure. I know you're a podcasting veteran. And hold that thought, everybody, because we're going to get to that in the next segment. But for now, let's talk marketing. I talk to a lot of lawyers about marketing. A lot of lawyers have issues with web marketing, let's say, tactfully. So I think a lot of what you speak to is interesting in terms of where this all starts. And it starts from being able to create a brand, being authentic, being able to tell stories that are compelling to people. That's true of legal consumers and non-legal consumers. And I know this is kind of a focus of what you do. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? Like lawyers are maybe some of the most inauthentic marketers I've ever met. <laughs> so how do you beat that out of them? I think the times we live in now that like when you Google search something, the, the search engine result page, right? The page that shows up, their, their digital footprint tells a story. And, uh, you know, whether that's a good story or a bad story, uh, it's there. And, and whether people like it or not, you know, thanks to things like LinkedIn and Zoom info and, you know, whatever thing you did back in university that's still kind of clinging <laughs> onto the internet, you can either proactively work to tell your story in a way that you want it to be told, or you can just kind of be passive and, and let whatever is out there tell your story. And, and right. I think that's what I love about now is that it's showing lawyers and putting up a mirror to say, hey, this is what the world, this is what the internet thinks about you. Uh, is a bit of a, a rude awakening in some cases. Right, like, I would agree. There's, like, relatively little intellectual curiosity about attorneys, in terms of attorneys, about what is out there about them online, which is surprising because attorneys are intellectually curious about almost anything else. It's like, I love Googling consulting clients I have and being like, did you know this existed? Or do you know this is, like, the second result on Google? And they never know. So speaking as someone who's lucky to be old enough that none of those college pictures are online, I think this notion you talk about, about controlling the narrative is important. I still get people who are like, you know, how do I fix this? Or how do I get that result down? And it's not a magic trick, right? Like part of it is building a narrative and then controlling it. But in order to control a narrative, you have to have built it in the first place. Yeah. And, and I think we live in a time where Google uh, has this amazing child named YouTube. Like Google bought YouTube years ago. And so in the same yes. way, if you are really good and friendly and nice and generous to someone's child, when you go to their house, you feed them broccoli and, you know, healthy foods and granola bars, uh, you know, the parent looks fondly upon you. So if you can be nice to Google's child YouTube, for example, and start filling and investing in YouTube with great content, if your name is Googled, your YouTube videos pop up. If uh, a term is Googled and you've got YouTube videos about it, those begin to pop up. And so if you can begin to control small things like that, you know, and there's this old uh, really bad SEO joke where it's like, where's the best place to hide <laughs> a dead body? We specialize in dad jokes on this yeah. show. Yeah, Hit yeah, it. great. Where's the best place to hide a dead body? Second page of Google, right? It's just, <laughs> so the reality is no one goes there, right? And so, so what are they saying about you? What are they saying about the type of law you practice? What are they saying about your firm? 
And can you change that? And can you proactively claim your Yelp account? Can you claim your Google My Business? You know, Google My Business, I'd say more than anything, is having a significant impact on people's story and who they are and who their brand is. Uh, and probably half the lawyers' Google My Business pages uh, haven't been claimed or haven't been updated in, in years. Right. So now we're getting into nitty gritty stuff, which I like. So great analogy, by the way. I've never heard YouTube referred to as Google's child before, but here we are. And I think what most people don't realize is that if you call YouTube a search engine, which it really is, it's like the second biggest search engine in the world after Google. So in terms of, um, let's do the video stuff first, because I think that's compelling. A lot of lawyers I talk to, they don't want to do the video because they feel very self-conscious. Mm -hmm. So is there a way to get over that? And then how do you build out a video library that's gonna be compelling to legal consumers. There's an old term that's quite violent about uh, killing multiple birds with one stone, right? <laughs> and so my grandma has an alternative, which is feed multiple birds with one grain. And so yeah, when we- That's beautiful, that's almost thank like you. a parable. Thank you, thank you. So when we present this to lawyers, the idea being is, sure, you don't wanna be on video, but the video is a means to an end. And so we say, hey, we wanna shoot a video over Zoom, because right now we're doing a lot of remote video interviews. So we do it over mm -hmm. Zoom. Uh, and then from there, we're then able to get content, not only for LinkedIn, which uh, LinkedIn loves it when you post video content natively right to the LinkedIn platform. We then use that same video for YouTube. We can use that same video for other places, but more importantly, we then can take the audio from that and possibly start a podcast, possibly use that audio for other reasons, uh, but more importantly, that audio can then be transcribed into a blog. And so because of that, they say, okay, well, I charge out X dollars an hour. If you're able to efficiently use an hour of my life to create video for multiple channels, audio for multiple channels, and that audio can be turned into a blog, uh, you know, something clicks in their brain and they realize, wow, for an hour of time, that produces a lot of content. Yeah, repurposing. Like, I would think that mo most lawyers I talk to, like, are pretty old school about this stuff. So if you talk to them about dictation, they'd be like, yeah, I dictate into Word Perfect all the time. But if you talk about transcribing a video and turning it into a blog post, that's currency that they understand. So I think it's really smart that you play it off that way. Yeah. And what I'm finding, too, now is that with that as well, and, and sometimes we see it as, well, it's like doing an interview for a newspaper. Think of it like that. You, you, know, you would talk to a newspaper, you would give um, terms, legal terms and legal context in a way that the uh, lay people of this world can understand. And usually that produces some of the best blog content because instead of them writing it in, in legalese and very professional and like university level writing, we almost get like a grade 12 to grade eight level writing material because yeah, they're verbally saying it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And then this repurposing thing is useful to lawyers because they're always time stressed. So I do one thing, I get multiple aspects out of it. That's great. Um, before we go too deep into the world of video, the other thing I thought you brought up, which is really important, is Google My Business. So I'm always surprised at how few law firms have actually claimed, not done anything with it, but even claimed their Google My Business profile, and it's free. So how do you convince lawyers to do that? And what are some steps they could take at like a baseline level to build out a compelling Google My Business profile? Yeah, in the same way, uh, 
you know, Google, you know, and where someone ranked, there, there's a lot of ranking factors and Google My Business being one of them, Bing uh, listing is one of them. As much as there's not everyone really Bings these days, there's a, a segment of people that do, those that right. either work for the government and are stuck with a PC, <laughs> Internet Explorer, and, and their default search browser is Bing, right. um, or the elderly, right? They bought a PC computer, they, they didn't download Chrome or any other browser and they use Bing. I like this uh, conversation. It does happen. People yeah. do use Bing. That's there a real is, thing. There is a segment and Google uses it to verify. So you got to make sure your Bing hours and the information is correct and it matches what's on your website and matches what's in Google My Business. And it's just a nice controllable way to respond to reviews, uh, engage with your audience and really control who your brand is and what your brand is. In the same way you wouldn't want the world to have control of your website. We often use that as an explanation as saying, hey, if your website was out there unclaimed, you wouldn't just leave it there for anyone to write reviews on and to write messages on. You'd want to own it and you'd want to control right. it. Controlling the narrative thematically again. And then you also make a great point about not just Bing profiles, Google My Business profiles, like directory profiles in general. Like that all has to match up and yeah. be consistent. So part of the story you tell is how consistently you can write it when we're talking about web marketing. Yeah, and, and Google these days, and if you've seen uh, this, this great movie, Lindsay Lohan stars in it named Mean Girls. And I've seen you... every Lindsay Lohan movie. Okay, exactly. <laughs> so, so those really mean girls in that movie uh, is a great way to look at Google. Uh, Google stands against the locker, judging your website as your website walks down the hallway. And, and Google is kind of leaning back, looking at your website. And the two things Google is looking for, number one is, what is your website wearing? What sort of brand names? What's your hairstyle? Do you have braces? And that's all kind of like the technical SEO things. Those are the things that are, you know, H1 headers, the things that your web person can fix, the things that you can run an audit and do those technical fixes. But the second thing that Google is looking at, Mean Girl Google, is who's talking to your website in the hallway? And what are they talking to you about? And do you have an authority on a topic? So again, Google My Business, Bing, Yelp, listing pages, media interviews, linking back to you, talking about a certain type of law and your name and your law firm's website, those all have an impact on the authority and where you rank. Four for you, Glenn Coco. I've never had the opportunity to say that on a podcast, so thank you. So you've got your Google My Business profile going, you've got your YouTube channel, you talked about transcribing that to create a blog, and that's something I wanna come back to, which is how much of this content needs to sit on your website? How do you get it to your website? And what kind of effect does that have on SEO? I know there's a big wrestle and our own internal team wrestles with it because we're both an SEO agency and a PR agency. And so uh, in the same way, you know, if a friend of yours, Jared, came to you and said, Jared, check it out, man. I wrote this book on oils. You're going to love it, man. It's so good. I published it in my basement. It's all the oils that are going to change your life. I'll rub some of that on your face right now. And you're like, oh, cool. And you're like, you should buy my book. It's $10. And you might think, man, that, that's an interesting book. And I, I really like and respect my friend. I might consider that. As but long as that... someone's not rubbing oil on my face, I'll definitely buy a book. That's the so, trade I'll make. Yeah, there you go. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> and if that same friend, though, came to you in a, a different scenario and said, Jared, hey, I just got this book published. Um, Harper Collins published it. You can pick it up on Amazon. You can pick it up on, you know, Barnes and Noble, any bookstore has it. You might actually just think differently about them and about that book. And you're like, wow, my friend oh, yeah. actually knows his stuff. And so in the same way, when you self-publish on your own blog, you want to think about blog content that is for SEO purposes mostly. So think about using terms like versus and best. 
there's also a section, actually it's a free thing in Google. If you Google search something and you scroll down, there's a section called People Also Ask. That's yes. one of the best resources you can use. So they take information from a thing called Google Trends. Uh, there's also a really fun website called Answer the Public that kind of collects those people, you know, commonly asked questions. And those are the things you want to have on your website. But you always want to say for everything that you self-publish, and it's you self-publish for SEO purposes, you want to also try to get published so that you can A, get a section on your website that says as seen in to build up that verification, but right. also more importantly, to hit up Google and say, hey Google, we are a, an authority in this region, uh, in the state, in this you know, country, on these topics, here's verification from X publication. And we wrote what's called an op-ed, so an opinion editorial, or what's really big these days is listicles, so an article in the form of a list that breaks down some things that people can better understand. Oh yeah, you see those all the time, right? Mm -hmm. The six best ways to do X. Yeah. Which used to be just a BuzzFeed thing. Yes. And so, and eventually the influence of BuzzFeed and the influence of people wanting shorter bite-sized articles and clickbait, major publications began to adopt this BuzzFeed style of writing to the point where it's actually in the dictionary, the term listicle. So that's, a, I, I think these are some great time-saving tactics for attorneys. So let me ask you just one more question as far as this stuff is concerned. So even what we talked about today, I think it's a lot of concepts for lawyers, especially to get their arms around, especially because a lot of law firms are new to web marketing or don't do it very often. So if you're starting to engage this notion of like, let's do more SEO without necessarily knowing too much about how that works, what are like, here's the listicle portion. What are the three things you would do as a law firm? Yeah. I think, first of all, create a um, baseline. Find out what is your organic traffic that's coming to your site. So you can get that information for free directly from Google Analytics. So talk to your web person, whoever manages your website. Find out how much on a monthly basis uh, of our website does uh, you know, organic traffic bring. Right? And, and, and the difference being is someone could type in your domain name directly or someone could be uh, referring to your site from another website, but organic traffic, how much comes to your site from that? And then more importantly, how much of that organic traffic is qualified, meaning it makes something happen. So something converts. So they fill out a contact form, they make a phone call, uh, they spend more than five minutes on your site. And that is another free tool that you can add on your site called Google Goals. Or if you're using a tool like Clio Grow, uh, Clio Grow manages that and monitors to say every time a lead comes in through Clio Grow, it marks it and says where that lead came from. So that's number one is the baseline. Right. Yep. A lot of free tools from Google. Yeah. And essentially, like, I I've been talking to a lot of firms about using CRMs forever, and Clio Grow fits into that category. The adoption is coming slowly, but you're right. It's a great way to manage leads, what happens to those leads, and also do some other things with those contacts once you get them, like follow-up emails. Okay, yeah. that's number and that, one. And Clio Grow automates it all. Whereas honestly, the majority of our clients were using Google Sheets or Microsoft Excel. And so when the receptionist yeah. gets in a lead, she marks where it came from. And then we follow it for the next three to six months to see if it became an open file. And then we mark it, it was an open file. And then we're able to track to say, okay, the best qualified leads are coming from XYZ. And then we're able to then come with data to the partners and say, hey, look, this is where all the qualified leads are coming from that are turning into open files. We need to spend more time and energy in these areas to continue to get more open files. Lawyers love spreadsheets, man. That yeah. is an affinity that will never go away. All right, yeah. so that was number one. I'll let you do number two and number three. 
So number two is, uh, you know, offering, uh, you know, micro articles to the media. You know, find out whether it's your local media. You know, if you want to kind of get your feet wet, look at your chamber of commerce, your board of trade, your business improvement association. Those are some really great low-hanging fruit places. But just offer a short listicle about your form of law. You know, you don't want to give away too much information, but just provide something that it gives you. Uh, you know, you may not be promoting your firm in the article, but in the author bio, they call it a byline, get a link back to your website so that you get a nice backlink. So that's number two. Uh, backlinks uh, and, are, are huge. I'm glad you brought those up. Yeah, yeah. And, and number three, we mentioned already, but claim your uh, Google My Business. Make sure that you have updated it. And, and literally every month, and, and I'm amazed by this, Google is updating and adding new features into Google My Business to the point where you can actually get a free website through Google My Business. You can add offers, you can add specials, you can add if you are a um, you know, female-led firm, whatever kind of unique things about your firm, if you are veteran-friendly, all these kind of cool, significant things you're now able to add into your Google My Business uh, listing. Right, and folks really don't spend enough time when they look at directory profiles or even social media profiles about what they can add in. And, and just, what just I taking find a look, just looking, yeah. Yeah. small level of intellectual curiosity helps with that. Go ahead. And, and I'm just shocked still that most lawyers are also so excited about like Facebook or Instagram and all these other channels. And my kind of pushback on that is like I grew up in this place uh, here uh, just right on the 49th parallel called Tawasson or, or Sawasson to some. Uh, there's actually a little blip of land called Point Roberts, which is America, because when they made the 49th parallel, they didn't realize there was a little blip of land. There's like two <laughs> gas stations, a supermarket, and amazing American cereals if you ever go down there. I love American cereals, my yeah. friend. That'll be oh, a whole other episode. <laughs> yeah, they're the best. And so, but there's a section of land which is owned by uh, the Tawasson First Nations. And so uh, they have a hundred year lease on this land. And so, you know, you can still own a property there, you just don't own the land. And so in the same way, if you look at your Facebook, your Instagram, your LinkedIn, you don't own that land, you're on leased land. But Google My Business is so crucial for your brand. And the second one being would be an e-newsletter. E-newsletter ah, yes. is the only form of media that you can socialize with that you own. And so um, if you don't have a ton of energy or resources, but you wanna be into like media that socializes, e-newsletter would be number one, and number two would be your Google My Business profile. Good stuff, man. Not only useful tips, but the staggering part is that most of this is free or yeah. cheap, and it just yeah. takes a little bit of discovery to get there. Yeah. You gonna come back for the next segment? I hope so. That'd be great, that'd be great. All right, all right. Thanks so much, that's Darian Kovacs of Jelly. But as I just mentioned, we're not finished with Darian quite yet. He'll be back in a little bit. We'll take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice. Then stay tuned for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Now more than ever, an effective marketing strategy is one of the most important things your law firm can have. And Scorpion can help. With nearly 20 years of experience serving the legal industry, Scorpion has proven methods to help you get the high value cases you deserve. Join thousands of attorneys across the country who have turned to Scorpion for effective marketing and technology solutions. For a better way to grow your practice, visit scorpionlegal.com. Imagine billing day being the happiest day of the month instead of the day you dread. Nobody went to law school because they love drafting invoices for clients and chasing overdue bills. At TimeSolve, our attorneys have the tools to achieve a 97% collection rate. That means more revenue for the same work and turning billing day into happy day. Learn more about how to get to your time and billing happy place at timesolve.com. Welcome. 
to the rear end of the legal toolkit. We call it the rump roast. It's a grab bag of short form topics of my choosing. Today, we're going to depart from my usual program of shaming and embarrassing our guests during this segment so we can continue our interview with Darian. As regular listeners know, I take a perverse pleasure in making our guests feel uncomfortable. But Darian has done something really cool, which probably every lawyer wants to do. So I want to take a little bit of time to talk to him about that. So here's the basic backstory. Darian launched this podcast called Marketing Jam, which became really popular and added some A-list guests like Malcolm Gladwell. Still waiting to book Malcolm Gladwell for Legal Toolkit, but I digress. Then Amazon picks this up as a series, and it's now got 10 episodes on Amazon Prime. Pretty amazing. Darian, I feel like everybody wants to have a podcast these days, and everybody wants that podcast to be successful. And you just did that. You created this extremely popular podcast. You got your own series on Amazon Prime. That's crazy. I think most people would be very envious of that result. So how did you do it? Yeah, I heard a stat recently. It was uh, 46% of the podcasts that are in the Apple, you know, iTunes podcast world have one episode. And so I think oh, anyone, though, I want to encourage anyone out there who has more than one episode uh, on their podcast, you've, you've made it. You, you have cracked that kind of glass ceiling of the 46%. So congrats. <laughs> now that we've set the bar very low, <laughs> how did you surpass it by a wide margin? <laughs> I think what it was, was I originally, way back in the day, had run a conference. And that was where the impetus to the podcast. And so I, I would host this event, invite people to the event. And, and if anyone's ever hosted an event, whether small or large scale, it's a lot of work. And it's oh, a ton man. of risk. It's a hassle. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of expenses, whether it's you know renting the venue, the speaker system, you know paying the speakers to come, flying them in. And so while they were there, we interviewed them backstage for this uh, podcast. Again, they, this was almost six years ago now. And so it yeah. was you know, a very small thing. And most actually didn't even know what a podcast was back then. But we had a little <laughs> audio recorder yeah. and, and did this. It was very niche. And then uh, we ended up uh, getting the, the conference acquired by uh, another agency. And so I didn't have a conference anymore. But I missed the green room conversations. I missed uh, getting just to talk off the stage to all these incredibly bright people. And I think that's where I think the best conversations happen and my, you know, my own personal and professional development happen. And so I just kept you know, emailing people or going on LinkedIn as a uh, Nigerian podcaster who has an inheritance and say, would you like to come on my show? And, people you know, are like, would, where's my $10 million? It's supposed oh, to be yeah. my checking account. <laughs> Seriously. And, um, and I just interviewed people that I actually wanted to talk to and that I found fascinating. And what kind of irks me now is I meet these people and there's these like podcast coaches and podcast, you know, strategies oh, you can do where it's all yeah. about bait and switch, where you use the show to build up your brand or use the show to pitch to that person or use the show to, I don't know, make money because you sell something else on the show. Right. But for me, I was just kind of leverage the show to say, hey, I want to learn from you. And someone actually gave me, they were trying, I think, to give me a criticism, but I took it as a compliment. They said, <laughs> listening to your show is like, I'm at Denny's and there's a couple drunk people in the booth next to me and I have to overhear a drunk conversation. So um, <laughs> we're that typically- That amazing to We're me. typically sober on the show, but again, I think I just dive into it because I think for me, I'm a practitioner and yeah. I also you know, am fascinated 
and so curious about how people, you know, whether it was the, the co-founder of Netflix last week and, and, you know, I would find some random fact about, you know, his mom was one of the early investors. The yeah. fact that Netflix was created commuting with one of his best friends, right? And so those stories, and then I want to dive more into it of like, what did it feel like? What was it like being there? And even for me, it was more for him finding out like, what was that talk? Because you always see that meme that's like, you know, Netflix tried to sell the Blockbuster and Blockbuster laughed them out of the meeting. It, he right. was, I talked to him, he was truly laughed out of that meeting and yeah. he was devastated. But what I wanted to get to is what was going through your head though? Because I'm trying to think if I'm, you know, getting turned down by something, if I'm being laughed at, you know, what is the self-talk that I could get and what can I learn from, you know, Mark? from that situation. And so I just pursued people that I thought were smart, way smarter than me. Um, Seth Godin yep. knows so much about marketing and publishing. And again, I it feels like I get this opportunity to drink from a fire hose, and then I just happen to record it for others to listen. It sort of reminds me of that Chris Farley skits from Saturday Night Live when he's interviewing Paul McCartney. Mm -hmm. <laughs> have you seen those and yes basically all i can get out is like you're amazing <laughs> but you get at it a little bit more in depth than that i like this notion of like green room conversations that don't happen during like a televised show that's really cool and from my perspective like the drunkenness would work although i think if i was ever in that situation i would probably talk to you for five minutes drink an entire thing of maple syrup and then pass out but i digress so you've got some high-powered guests on there man like you're doing like CEO of Netflix. You had Malcolm Gladwell and I'm referenced. You got Seth Godin. Like, I think most people would be afraid to just reach out to guests like that. So how did you work up the courage to go ahead and like say, I'm going to book this person and get it done? Like, is it a chicken and egg thing where the podcast needs to get popular first? Or were you pretty ballsy in terms of like, I'm going to go find these people just because I want to talk to them? You know what was, I, funny enough, and this is actually, I've never told this story, but I opened up my phone, my, I have an iPhone, and I looked at the apps that I love the most. And then I just simply went onto LinkedIn and found out who is the marketing person or the creator <laughs> of said apps. And that yeah. was my process. Cause I was like, why do I love your app so much? Like, why am I so obsessed with what's happening? And then from there, it was even like, I, you know, I have, a, I have kids. And so my son's really into Lego and so fascinated by that. So again, pursued the social media director of Lego. I got really into that Starbucks app, collecting the stars, pursued right. the brand director of Starbucks. So I just went off of things I was fascinated by personally and then even professionally. So again, I looked at my IT bill that comes every month. So my accountant puts it together. These are all the IT expenses for the month. And I'm like, why do I spend so much money on like Hootsuite, <laughs> you know, all these tools. Let's go get and, that guy. <laughs> yeah, HREFs. And, and so I pursued yeah. them and said like, man, we, our team, our company loves, we can't live without, you're a tool to our shop. We can't operate without your tool. Like, tell me more about what's going on behind the scenes. And then that's the coolest stuff because usually, like we had a, on a guy named Guy Kawasaki who would charge a significant amount of money to come speak at an event. And right. you can get a keynote and it's great. And we've, we've done events before. But getting Guy one-on-one -on -one was like, hey, Guy, this is what I really want to know. This is what, as a person in marketing, just break this down for me. Like, what was it like being the CMO for Steve Jobs? What was it like working for this crazy type A person and then hearing your name in the, the movies about Steve Jobs. Like, well, how fun yeah. was that? Yeah. And what does life look like now for you? What do you do now with your time, right? And, and even for me, I found the fascinating thing about him was how he's using LinkedIn 
and he broke down what LinkedIn meant for him. He yeah. broke down why he loves Canva and why he became a brand ambassador for Canva. And I think just getting into the mind frames. And I think this time uh, when a lot of people were at home and weren't speaking as much, really opened up a big door to have people come on the show. And so I just went for it and just continued yeah. to ask people and said, if you have time to be interviewed, the, actually, the, and the Malcolm Gladwell, I will admit this, I also have never, like, I, we don't, I don't come from a lot of money, never had a lot of money. And so whenever events would come, I, I couldn't afford it, right? And, and couldn't, mm. uh, you know, couldn't also muster my brain to pay in our right. budget to go to events. <laughs> so I would often sign up as media at events. And yes, so that, that's a great trick. Yeah, Tell so I was, that, yeah. I was media for this event in Vancouver that Malcolm was, but he had just come up with this book called Tipping Point. I was actually using it as a textbook for a class I was teaching at a Bible college, funny enough, on evangelism. Huh. And, and that was my text. And so I, I went to the press junction room thing and no one else, no one else showed up. There was no other press signed up. So it was Malcolm and I for an hour in this room, and we just kind of awkwardly hung out for an hour. And then at one point, I just pulled up my old iPhone 4 or 2 or whatever it was and, you know, did a recording. So That's funny. <laughs> You're like, by the way, you down to podcast? <laughs> but I like how you approach this. There's some purity to this in the sense that you were like, hey, I'm just going to fanboy on these yeah. products and see yeah. if people will talk to me about it. So, like, you've got the podcast. It's popular. And then you get this deal going with Amazon. Like, yeah. how does that work? How does Amazon approach you? What does that process look like? Yeah, no, and that was that was a, a weird one. And my wife actually teases me because I love wearing New Balance shoes and maybe it's just a dad thing. Who, who but doesn't, the, man? I have so yeah. many pairs. New Balance yeah. and Brooks. Right, my yes, yeah. Brooks is my running shoe actually. I run in Brooks, they're beautiful. They feel like I'm running on trampolines. Oh, Brooks, um, is, Brooks sneakers are just amazing. Sorry, I, I, I could do a whole 30 minutes on this. Go on. Yeah, this episode <laughs> is not brought to you by Brooks or, but it or, should be. Uh, or New Balance, but if you would like to sponsor us, here are two dads that would rock your shoes. But, but I, there's this show called uh, Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis, and she yes. teases me that that's the level of my show production because literally I'm, <laughs> I'm interviewing someone one-on-one -on -one because it, it, to take a podcast and make it a TV show, I didn't know what else to do. Like at one point we had like art behind us. Yeah. And so that's as crazy as we got. We like went to a hotel and had nice chairs. And so if you watch the show, that's as crazy as it gets. But did you bring in fauna of some no, kind? I did. No, I should have. I should have. I, I just, I just used what was in the hotel or um, actually around a single fern. Like, no, no, I know. We couldn't even stuff. fit a fern in. It was, it was at one point we actually used a green room, an actual green room of a conference. Cause the only way we could get some of these speakers who were oh, in right, town yeah. in Toronto was yeah. we'll, we'll do it in your green room. That makes sense. But the, the biggest thing I found from that was Amazon's desire to create more B2B content and to kind of diversify their content, I thought was really cool. And so, yeah, it's an interesting uh, angle for sure. Yeah. And so the, the show set up is uh, three options. One is I could have sold it to them and they own it and they have exclusive on it, which that's option one. Option mm -hmm. two is you can get paid for it, a small fee, and then you can also get it distributed on other channels if you'd like. Uh, or option three is you own it still and you own the rights to it all and then they pay you per thousand views. So we oh, went with option three. Yeah. Uh, so we still have the rights to it. We can still distribute it. We still own the audio, but we're able to uh, give people that option to watch a podcast <laughs> instead of listen to it. Which again, I actually don't think it's very. Are you popular. like that's really counterintuitive? Or <laughs> I because I, I I have a friend who has an amazing show out of Toronto, which yeah. I love it, but I don't want to spend forty minutes watching this show. But I love listening to it if I'm like walking yeah. or 
doing something or just like I want to learn something from a show. So long form content, I personally won't ever watch. And it's not like they're juggling or singing or they're not like they're not on the show because they're so really just to be clear, people. you're not juggling or singing no, in any of these no. episodes. Okay. No, no. <laughs> so I, I like it. It was cool. And I, I don't know, you know what, where it might work is like airplane when we start flying again is like WestJet, which is an airline in Canada. I, right. I would like to get it there because you're super bored and you are looking for some sort of maybe more business content. That's where I could see it could work, but. Yeah, Amazon Prime. I'm watching like I'm watching Marvelous Miss Maisel. There's right. so many other shows to watch. Right. So, do you juggle? I don't. I don't. All right. I, All right. I, I, wish just, I, I was wondering if that was a tease, and you're going to start juggling now. We could release that video, but we won't. So, in terms of the show, like ten episodes that connotes to season one, right? Do you do a yeah. season two? Like, what's that look? Yeah. like? Yeah. We've got season two all lined up, okay. ready to go. And so that will be uh, coming out ideally this summer, uh, which would be amazing. And it's Marketing Jam is the name of the show. Yeah. And if you've got an Amazon Prime account, you've got access to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In the in the UK and in Canada. Uh, or sorry, in America. That's where, it, for some reason, Canada didn't pick it up. Um, That's messed and, up, man. Like, yeah. your country is turning its back on I know. you. I know. So, so we've kept the audio going, and we call that Marketing News Canada, which is the the audio version of our show. So that keeps happening, and then we take like our ten most popular episodes every season, and then do a video version of it that then gets put up on Amazon. Ah, very clever. That's really cool. And thanks for taking the time to walk everybody through that process. Like, and the thing that I take away from this too is like, you didn't launch this podcast thinking that you would have an Amazon Prime show out of it. No, like that was just a happy accident. Or monetized, right? Like yeah. I think finally, and, right. and again, that was the other thing that finally came was there's actually a, a podcaster named Tim Ferriss who's got this great philosophy that I will not bring on an advertiser unless I know, breathe, live, use the product. And yeah. so we made that commitment early on. And so I actually truly love, we have a, in Canada, it's called the Canada Post. You have the US Postal Service. And so they came on as our first paid sponsor. And so kudos to them. Um, we love HREFs. They came on as a sponsor. And so Hootsuite sponsored an episode. So those came, but in time. And, yeah. um, and it was all because it was a natural fit of a product and a brand that I could truly love and talk about. Like even CallRail, which is you can track phone numbers. We have a lot right. of people law love firms CallRail. That That's a great service. Yeah. yeah. So I was able to do the pre roll, uh, but do it in really, gen I, I love it. And so then they then use my pre roll for other podcasts because it was like, here's a, a user lover of our product, but saying how he genuinely uses it and loves it. So. Yeah, we tried to get the U.S. Postal Service to sponsor us, but like we realized that every episode would be two weeks late. Thanks, I'll be here all week. <laughs> no, in all, in all seriousness, no, this is really interesting to hear. Delightful things are coming on. I think everybody should check out the show. I've watched a couple episodes. I thought it was really interesting. Although I'm a, I'm a I'm an audio person myself. Yeah. I prefer the podcast option. Yeah. But um, check it out. If you've never seen a podcast on television, here's your chance. Thanks, Darian. This is awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, for those of you listening in Booger Hole, West Virginia, yes, that's a real place, and I know you're out there, our Spotify playlist for this week's show features some of my favorite acoustic songs, because what's more intimate and authentic than an unplugged musical performance? So listen in and discover my sensitive side. Our guest today has been Darren Kovacs of Jelly. For more information about Jelly, go to jellymarketing.ca. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. I wish I had more time to talk about Flash Gordon, but it appears that there's never enough time to talk about Flash Gordon. Perhaps you can go watch Ted instead. Now, that'll do it for another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast. Thomas Hobbes said that life was nasty, brutish, and short. Clearly, 
he didn't have an Amazon Prime account. See you next time. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.